Father, as we open your word, and still as we're starting out this new year, we invite you to work on us. Forgive us for growing complacent. Forgive us for believing that you're done with us. Forgive us for feeling like you should be done with us. You have so much to do. Lord, I believe that the majority of our spiritual growth is still in the future. And we embrace that. We want you to grow us and to challenge us and to teach us and to to lead us new places, Lord. Help us not to sit still this year. Help us not to mark time. Move us on and lead us, O Lord, in the way of your commands. We pray that you would bless us in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, open your Bibles up to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. We just went through the Red Sea. We're with Moses and the Israelites. This is like the 16th sermon, so if you're newer here, you can catch all the old sermons online or on our app. Make sure you find them because you missed a lot. But here we are in Exodus 15, and the sermon today is called Into the Wilderness. Into the Wilderness. Uh, Last week, it was party time. We were singing. We were dancing. The whole sermon last week was a song that they wrote to commemorate that God walked them through the Red Sea and hurled the Pharaoh and his chariots into the sea. I mean, it was like a national dance party. And then, this is the way our Lord goes, we go out into the wilderness. Check it out in Exodus 15, verse 22. It says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. No water. Three days, no water. Day one, no water. Day two, no water. Day three, million people plus. Animals. Kids, senior saints, no water, none. What would that do? What would that do? How long have you gone without water? Hey, jot this down. God will lead you into the wilderness. God will lead you into the wilderness. This is how God does it. Last week, we're all singing. This week, we're all dying. Last week, look what God did. This week, I'm, I'm dying. I can't even drink. You have to learn about the Lord here. We have to learn about the Lord here. Um, God wants you to embrace trials. He wants you to embrace trials. Uh, I, I would think if I was following Moses, right? There he is. <laughs> it's Moses. We're following Moses. That we'd go to some pretty awesome places, right? Like, he talked to the burning bush, and, and God sent him to come save us. And now we're following Moses, and, and we have no water for three days. Did God mess up? Did Moses mess up? They didn't have GPS back then. Maybe they did. Uh, no. This is exactly where God wanted his people to be. How can that be? How can God want, want children to perhaps die of thirst? What kind of a God is this that we're following? You must understand the purpose of his heart when he leads you into the wilderness. He will take you to places he could prevent you from going. He could prevent you from going there. I mean, water is God's thing, right? Right? Like last week, he made it stand up in a wall. And, 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 and this week, there's none of it? How is this? It's, it's because he has a plan to use the wilderness to grow your faith. I've got some pictures of the dunes. We went to the dunes a few years ago as a family. There's my daughter, Cassie 
standing in front of a warning sign at the edge of the dune. Um, and if you look in the background there, there's a house that's being swallowed up by the dune. The dunes swallow houses. There's, there's all sorts of houses under these dunes. It's hilarious. I mean, talk about picking the wrong spot for your vacation home. And there's this warning sign. You know, don't go over the edge or you'll die. Check out this picture. It's just in the middle of the dune. And we spent like one hour in the dune. You know, kids love running up and down the sand and throwing the football around. And then I'm like, let's get out of here. All right. This is fun, but it's hot and I'm thirsty. So, so after we had our fun, away we went. But what would one day be like there? What would two days be like there? What would three days be like there? And there's no water in sight. That is supposed to show you uh, seasons of life God will lead you to. How will God lead us into the wilderness? Jot this down. By taking things away. He will take things away. Uh, perhaps basic things. Perhaps necessary things. He will allow things you need to go away. He will allow people to go away. He'll take things away. Now, why would he do this? Well, sometimes God explains things in the Bible uh, by giving us images. So a picture can sometimes show us why he's doing something. Uh, So in Hebrews 12, 27, it says this. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. A lot in this verse, but basically the picture we see here is God shaking something, like an earthquake or a tree or whatever, shaking a building, right? So that whatever's going to fall down, falls down. But then the things that don't fall down, you realize, will last forever. When God shakes your life, when things are falling over, you're learning something. You're learning that those things were temporary to begin with. And then you'll find out the things that will never be shaken, and those are the things that you will hold on to for eternity. He wants you to know the temporary nature of the things that you hold on to. He wants you to know how fleeting they are. He'll take things away. In John 15, 2, another image we have that explains this is, uh, every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. This is a great portrait. The portrait here is God pruning your life or pruning his church, um, which means he walks at you with a knife and starts slicing things away. Right? I, I taught this once before, this passage as a standalone sermon, and I called it, Put Down the Knife, God. <laughs> Put Down the Knife, God. He will prune your life. He will take things away. Things that are not necessary, things that are not permanent, so that there will be more fruit. God will take things away. God will lead you into the wilderness. He'll do it by taking things away. Jot this down. He'll do it to test your faith. Here's here's the reason why. To test your faith. God will test your faith in the wilderness, in the desert. Uh, He will lead you to places of fatigue, frustration, anguish, fear, worry, confusion. He will lead you there. He will allow your basic needs to not be met. He will allow you to wonder how the bills are going to be paid. He'll do it. He'll do it. He'll allow you to get sick. He'll allow your family to be discouraged. He will allow you to feel this way. You're going to the wilderness. You are. 
And if you've been there, you'll be back there soon. And if you're coming out, he's had you there for a reason. He'll test your faith. Why would he do this? Is he mean? How could a holy God, who has all the water in the earth at his disposal, look down on his people? And they just need water. He's cruel. No. Suffering accomplishes things. Suffering shows faith, but it also grows faith. It does both. Suffering shows faith, meaning when you're suffering, your faith emerges. Uh, People who are following Jesus for the goodie bag bolt when the pain comes because they were in it for the blessings. When the pain comes, their faith is proved invalid. And they leave because they never had it. They had something selfish in mind, but they certainly didn't have the glory of Christ in mind. So pain shows faith, but it also grows, grows faith. So when the pain comes, your faith begins to grow as long as you remain under the trial. If you escape, if you hit the eject button, if you find sinful ways to alleviate the pain, you won't grow. But if you remain under it, your faith will grow stronger. God sends you into the wilderness to test your faith. The truth is, God has a plan for your pain. But we don't like pain. Oh, we want God's will for our lives, don't we? I just want to know where God wants me to be. Well, what if it's a season of suffering? Well, then I don't want to know anymore. I like what C.S. Lewis said. He said, we're not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. God, I just want your best, but I don't want it to hurt. Careful what you long for in the secret places of your heart. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Do you? Do you want to be more like Jesus? Do you? If, if you want to be more like Jesus and you want a life without suffering, then you really don't want to be more like Jesus because he was the suffering servant. Be careful what you long for. Be your worst day if all of your problems went away and you no longer needed God for anything. That's your worst day. Be careful not to pray at the end of your prayers. Be careful not to long for God to become unnecessary in your life. And if what you're praying for equals, I will no longer need God, why would he answer that? He won't. Don't pray for God to become unnecessary. Pray for God to become supreme. And that includes suffering. He'll test your faith. Do you wonder why your life is so hard sometimes? It's because God wants you to personally know his presence and his power. That's why. That's why. He wants you to have a stronger and better relationship with his son. That's why the pain. That's why. God will lead you into the wilderness. He'll take things away. He'll test your faith. Jot this down to show you how much you need him. To show you how much you need him. It says that they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. After departing from the Red Sea, walked away from the sea, no water. This idea of thirst is a spiritual portrait. Thirst is something that shows us something spiritual. Uh, God's people thirsty uh, shows you something spiritual. Everyone knows that we need real water to live, right? 
you know that, right? So, so I, Lauren and I are also doing this little health challenge with some of the staff members and some other folks in the church. And so this, this uh, health challenge is like a point system. So you get points for not eating junk food. You get points for not eating after 9 p.m. You get, you get points for, and one of the things is you get points for drinking 64 ounces of water a day. All right? So uh, a, as of this health challenge, I am the opposite of thirsty. All right? In fact, I'm getting up a whole lot more in the night because I've taken this health challenge to drink all this water. And I am more hydrated now than I've ever been before. If you notice my skin is glowing, it's probably because I've been drinking all this water. And it's funny how we're holding each other accountable on this little telegram app and everybody's like, ah, did you get your water in? Did you get your water in? And some of us forget and we're chugging it before bed. Right. Everyone knows you need water to live. So the Bible draws from this imagery to show us how much we need him. I'm sure you remember, what was the great Maranatha song? Do you remember that? As the deer. Anybody want to sing it? As the deer. I'm not going to sing it. See? Isn't that awesome? Don't, all right, we're not going to sing the whole thing. As, Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. A panting animal isn't really what I'd like to be. Like, I don't really envision myself as being... I've got a dog, and when we go for a walk, he comes back, and he's practically dying, right? And I'm just like, that's the way I want to be spiritually, just like that! Uh, but what a poetic, artful image uh, of what? Of a soul wanting more from God. God wants to show you how much you need Him. Jesus said, I have water to drink you know nothing about. I have water to drink you know nothing about. He was talking about the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit comes into your life when you're saved, and uh, it becomes like a fountain, which means you can go again and again to the well of God's presence and draw fresh, new, life-giving water from His eternal streams. That's the point. That's why we suffer, so we can thirst for more of God. You, you get the Holy... I, my daughter, Cassie, once when she was younger, I give them little Bible quizzes from time to time. So I said, uh, when does the Holy Spirit come to live with you? And she said, I don't know, but probably on a Sunday. <laughs> cute. Very cute. I said, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit comes to live in you. She said, oh, right, right. God will show you how much you need Him, but He has made a provision for that need. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're also told in Ephesians 5, don't be intoxicated on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Meaning you're, you're so drawing from this well of, of spiritual life that it's like you're drunk on it, right? You're full of it. Don't ever think you're bothering God with your problems. He wants you to see how much you need Him. I need you again. I need you again. I need you again. All right. That's the point. It's the point of pain anyway. Are you inviting God into your pain? Are you thirsting for more of Him? Hey, God will lead you into the wilderness to dry places. Are you thirsting for Him? Number two, jot this down. God will allow you to suffer disappointment. He'll allow you to suffer disappointment. Let's read on. Three days, no water. Then it says in verse 23, when they came to Merah, so now they arrive at some place, they could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Merah, which means bitterness. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? 
So there, three days, no water, no water, no water. And then it was like, water! <laughs> like crawling up to it. And then somebody takes a drink and pukes. <laughs> and the whole nation's watching poor Billy over there who went first, <laughs> you know, loses innards. And they're all like, oh no, oh no. What's it like to see the water? What's it like to have it in your mouth? And then it's sickening. This, now this is just cruel. This is just mean. God brought him to a place of false hope. What was he thinking? And the people are now not happy with Moses. Listen, this portrait will be your life. You will be led to places where you think it's over and it's not. You will suffer disappointment. Uh, Merah is a bitter place, and God will send you to bitter places. And it's even harder to endure when you thought you were there, and then you're not. You thought it was over, but it's not. You'll be there. You'll be there. What does it feel like to be at Merah? Well, this is periods of your life where your soul has not been well hydrated for days. Then you think it's over and you find out it's not. You're in agony. You're beat down. You're tired and grumpy and angry. You can arrive at Mara, whether your two-year-old woke you up for the third straight night, I just need some sleep, uh, or, or you have to go for another checkup and another checkup with the doctor for the third straight year, and you thought it was over, and it's not over, and um, you'll be disappointed. God will lead you to bitter places. Jot this down. Things will get worse than you thought. Things will get worse than you thought. It's even worse than they thought. But this is what our good, good shepherd does. We read this earlier today, right? The good shepherd, first he leads us beside what? Oh, I like that. I, have a, I found a painting here. I might even buy it. Check it out. This is still waters. Look at that. That's my Jesus. And that's me, his sheep. And who wouldn't want to stay there for a day or two or three or ten? Doesn't that look peaceful? Doesn't that look pleasant? That's amazing. And my good shepherd leads me beside still waters. But then what does it say next? He leads me through the what? The valley of what? Yeah, and if you look in the original, it's like one word, shadow death. So, so valley plus death equals, we've got one of those in the U.S., right? Death valley. Check it out. So now here's this next picture, and I wouldn't want to go there. But Jesus says, come on. Well, I, don't, I don't really want to walk across that. Here we go. Keep up. My good shepherd takes me there. And then it gets even worse, because by the end of the psalm, where are we? In the presence of our what? Our Who? God leads me there? What are they all doing here? You see, this is the good shepherd. The good shepherd leads you beside still waters of rest, through the valley of the shadow of death, in the presence of your enemies. But what happens at the end? What happens at the end? Goodness and mercy always catch up. Your goodness and mercy will follow me all of my days. There they are again. There they are again. Goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy. He will lead you through these places. Things will get worse than you thought. Jot this down. You'll suffer false hope. You'll suffer false hope. You'll think you had it, but you don't. You can lighten things up with a little humor here. 
I was following the story of Case Keenum because he's a Christian. And uh, he's an unlikely quarterback hero for the Minnesota Vikings. So I haven't really watched the Vikings game all year, but I decided to tune into the Vikings versus Saints game last weekend. So glad that I did. How many of you watched the whole game and didn't turn it off? <laughs> so I'm watching, and Drew Brees, I think, is a Christian too, so it's kind of cool about that. So here they are. At the half, the Vikings' great defense has shut out the Saints practically. They've got nothing. And so I'm like, this is a snoozer. I'm going to turn it off. But I kept it on. So, of course, Hall of Famer Drew Brees, you know, is coming back, and he leads the Saints to where they're winning. And there's like 30 seconds left in the game, and Case Keenum has to storm up the field and uh, get a field goal for the win. Well, check this play out. What actually happened was they didn't get a field goal. Uh, so that's uh, Stefan Diggs, right? Jumps up in the air, catches a ball. And Williams there is having a bad week. Because look at that tackle. <laughs> he didn't even touch him. He totally missed. Diggs came down and, uh, and then ran to the end zone. And it was a walk-off touchdown. The Vikings won as time expired. So one of my favorite parts of this past week was watching videos of Saints fans uh, at bars and in homes watching this happen. Because Saints fans are like, 10 seconds left, last play of the game, we're going on, and then they watch it. And I saw one guy throw his TV over the balcony. I saw a guy in a bar literally pass out. He fell flat on his back because he just passed out, screaming, shouting, cursing. Why? They thought they had it, and then it was gone. Just gone like that. Now, I thoroughly enjoyed that experience. But it's because I was kind of rooting for Case Keenum. You saw the interview after the game. He nailed it. They're like, this must be the greatest moment of your life. He's like, no, following Jesus as my Savior was number one. Marrying my wife was number two. This is like three. That's pretty awesome. Um, But I love that portrait, that, that idea that you think you have it. You think you have it. It's there. And then, and then it's gone. It's just gone. Um, And it'll be even harder when God does that to you. Three days. Three days. Three days ago, we're partying by the Red Sea, and now all of our lives are in jeopardy. What kind of a God are we following? It's important to know God will lead you here for his purposes. Jot this down. When you get there, you'll be tempted to doubt and complain. It says the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? You will be tempted to doubt and complain. You have to wait on the Lord. Do you know God has many ways to test your faith? Do you know one of the hardest tests that you will take as a follower of Christ is the test of waiting? Time is a test. Will you pass it? Will you give God time? Or do you demand it now? It's my money and I need it now. Famous commercial. Uh, Is that your heart toward God now? Now. Because God will make you wait for things, good things, necessary things. So many stories have hard middles, but great endings. Will you wait? As you evaluate your attitude right now, how would you say you're doing with your attitude toward the Lord? Are you like 50-50, complaining, praying? Are you like 70-30, 70% complaining, 30% praying? Are you like 90% complaining, 10% praying? Heaven forbid you're 100% complaining, 
and not at all praying? Where are you at on that continuum? Where's your attitude toward the problems in your life? Do you know the greatest revival recording in, recorded in Scripture where 120,000 people got saved? Who was it that led that revival? Do you remember? Who was it? Not Jesus. Who was it? 120,000 people got saved. Jonah! Jonah! 120,000 people turned to the Lord. The animals, too! He goes out. Talk to God. Not talking to God. Not talking to God. Attitude problem. Big attitude problem. Uh, how's your attitude toward the Lord? Are you whining to God? Jonah was mad because God was forgiving the wicked. You'll be tempted to doubt and complain. We can't give in to temptation to doubt and complain and grumble. It reveals a lack of faith. Number one, God will lead you into the wilderness. He'll take things away to test your faith, to show you how much you need him. <clears throat> Number two, God will allow you to suffer disappointment. Things will get worse than you thought. You will suffer false hope. You'll be tempted then to doubt and complain. Number three, cry to the Lord. When you find yourself there at Merah, cry to the Lord. Moses gives us the example of what to do. It says here in verse 25, and he cried to the Lord. He cried to the Lord. I mean, they're all about to die. He cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. The word log could be tree or a shrub whatever. So Moses cries to the Lord. That's a portrait of prayer. Intense, fervent prayer. He cries to the Lord, and the Lord shows him a tree. This is actually kind of funny if you think about it. He cries to the Lord, and God, like, points to a bush and says, go throw that in the water. And so he, okay, picks up the bush and walks over to the water and throws it in. It's actually kind of funny because uh, there's no reason why that would work. He looks like a fool. I've got the answer. I'm going to go throw that bush in, uh, in and then the water's going to get all. It'd be kind of funny if you've got problems and your neighbors see you out front digging up a bush and then you walk in your house and throw it in your bathtub. And then all your problems go away. This is what's happening. Pick up the bush, throw it in the water, all your problems will go away. All right. So they did it. And what does it say? And the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. There he tested them, saying, now here comes the lesson. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord. Ah, it's not the bush. Everybody say, it's not the bush. It's It's the voice of the Lord. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. I'm the Lord your healer. What's, what's, looking out the front window, what's our neighbor doing with the bush? Uh, It's not a portrait of doing something foolish. It's a portrait of a man listening to God. Look at that man listening to God. Look at that man obeying the voice of the Lord. That's what we're supposed to imitate. 
I hear from the Lord what to do and I do it even if it sounds foolish or futile. I still do it. And you might feel that way. I feel like I'm just throwing sticks in the water. That's all I feel like I'm doing and nothing's happening. Yeah, you just got to keep doing it. Obey the Lord. Cry to him and hear him. He will respond. The Lord said, I will be your healer. There's so much here that we can pick apart, but he's not healing the water. Who's he healing? Them. Because the water isn't all that was bitter. They had grumpy hearts. All right? So he's not just sweetening up the water. He's sweetening up the spirits of the people who are like, you're going to kill us. He's fixing that problem too. How? Through his word. Are you praying? Are you crying to the Lord? I like what Tim Keller says about prayer. Tim Keller said this. Prayer is the way to experience a powerful confidence that God is handling our lives well. That our bad things will turn out for good. Our good things cannot be taken from us. And the best things are yet to come. That's what prayer does for your soul. Are you crying out? And after you cry out, are you listening diligently? Jot this down. He will make bitter water sweet. He'll make bitter water sweet. If you turn to God and cry out and hear from his word, he will sweeten your suffering. It will happen on the outside. He will do things to alleviate your suffering on the outside. He'll do it. He'll bring people to encourage you. He'll bring resources to help you. He'll do it. On the outside, he'll help lift and carry that burden. He usually does it through the church. But inside, he will sweeten your soul. He will sweeten the, the doubtful, bitter waters of your heart. You need both. And what is it? What is Moses actually throwing in the water? He's throwing, he's throwing obedience to God's word in the water. And Whenever you get in this book, when you're suffering, whenever you run to the word of the Lord, it's like you just keep, you just keep throwing that healing power into the water of your heart and into the water of your problems. And this book just keeps renewing you and renewing you and renewing you again and again. He'll make the bitter water sweet. But you have to obey during hard times. You have to do what you hear. It's hard to watch Christians who bolt when it's hard. It's hard to watch Christians who try and find sinful ways out of their suffering. It's hard. It's hard. They just... They run out into the desert to try and find ice, and it's not there. They'll never find it. He will make bitter water sweet. Jot this down. He'll lead you to renewal in the desert. Happy ending. Happy ending. It says here in verse 27, Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. This didn't look like the Caribbean or anything, but they found this oasis in the middle of the desert. So check it out. Here's a picture of what it could have looked like. This is the type of place that they would have come to, all right? It's, again, not a place you want to live, but it's a place in the middle of the suffering where there's all this water and shade. Oh, shade. I just need a little peace. I just need a little relief from the heat of the day. God will lead you if you follow him through the disappointment, through the days of waiting for what you need. He'll lead you to the oasis. He'll lead you to renewal in the desert. He says, I'm the one who heals you. Okay, so understand that it's not the water and the shade that's ultimately their hope. God's like, I'm that. I'm that. Uh, And don't ultimately find your relief and rest in the things that come to you during the trial. 
Look to the Lord who's sending it to you. Jesus is your rest. He is it. He's it. All things are in him. Because you have him, you'll never go without. Elam shows that obedience will ultimately lead you to a sprawling oasis where you find rest for your souls. You'll be so refreshed, so renewed, so resolved. You're still surrounded by wilderness. It's going to be a long road. But here, he did it again. He took you to the oasis again. He filled your soul again. And then off you go to the next stop. What a portrait. God will care for your soul. This is a truth, even though your heart won't accept it right away. But you, as you reflect on it, you'll find rest in it. God has always taken perfect care of you. You really don't agree with that, if you're honest. But God has always taken perfect care of you. God will always take perfect care of you forever. And he is taking perfect care of you right now. No more grumbling. No more complaining. No. Follow him. Obey him. Trust him. Cry out to him. He will fill your soul with life. God will lead you into the wilderness. He'll take things away. He'll test your faith. He does it to show you just how much you need him. God will allow you to suffer disappointment. Things will get worse than you thought. You'll suffer false hope. And you'll be tempted to doubt and complain. So you have to cry to the Lord because He will make bitter water sweet. He will lead you to renewal in the desert. I want to close by reading Isaiah 58, 11. This is so powerful. Here's what it says. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Let's close our eyes right now together as a church. Let's bow our our heads before the Lord. And I want to give you a moment of silent reflection where where you can bring whatever it is that's making you weary You can bring whatever it is that's making you restless. You can bring whatever it is that's making you bitter right before him. And you can talk to him about it. This is your opportunity. This is your opportunity to cry out. This is your opportunity. This is your chance right now to talk to the God who loves you. Pray right now.